Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? So, uh, I'm here with a pretty interesting character today. Mike Mosley. You're the, uh, one of the oldest neighbors I ever had. That's right. We lived across the swamp from each other. Yeah. I babysit some of your kids at one time. You did. That was good times, because you had TV, and we did I could come over and watch TV. Because of Struy. That's it. <laughs> Coach Struy. That's, uh... Bob, Bobby Cable. <laughs> Did he really? That's awesome. Because he wanted to watch TV at my house. <laughs> One of my oldest remembrances of you is you would throw papers. You threw papers at 3 in the morning. You got your ass out of bed. And you threw papers every day. Seven days a week, right? I was supporting my Christian school habit. See, <laughs> so because you wanted to be a teacher at a Christian school, you had to pay for it to do. Right. And and now you, you're the, uh, what do you call yourself? Well, the title's superintendent. Oh, okay. Okay, but my grandkids call me the Super Nintendo. Uh, that sounds cool. <laughs> um, kind of like that one better. One, one of one of our uh, vet church people has the Nintendo tattooed right here, <laughs> just in case life gets a little dull. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, I, but, respe- I respect that. I do too. You. Uh, so I wanted to do this vet church interview with you. Because you're you're also the son of a veteran, yeah. And in I think it was ninth grade, you were my lit- the literature teacher. You? I don't know what. You yeah, we do we do English classes called English, and we do we do English classes called literature. Okay. So we do double English. That's that's one of the the, the Rocky specialties. But you're teaching in in English. I, I remember I was taught how to like use the language, and right. in literature I was taught about the stories of our language, which were. There's some sacredness to our stories. Yeah. And one of the old, this is the book that I had in that class. Um, it's a little old. <laughs> I've carried it with me a lot. And I, I just went through and, because Kate and I are, you know, getting rid of everything. I've, I've, I've started a, as my first act as the official chapel of the last Honky Tonk Music Series, I started a library in this little retreat place down in Louisiana. And then um, I've given most of my books away. I've kept uh, just a couple just in case. You, know, you never know. You have to go back and read yeah. some stuff and some Greek stuff. And I, I ran across this book that I've been dragging around the country and I've used hundreds of times. And I wanted to start this interview off reading a small portion of it that you made me read in ninth grade. Hey, can y'all hear and everything? I don't know if you can. Somebody say you can, the sound's good or not. Um, so I want to I want to read y'all this. So what, what uh, Mike would do with us is Mr. Mosley at the time. <laughs> and now you're Dr. Mosley. I am. And here I'm just calling you Mike. I'm just a doctor. Um, I'm not the kind of doctor that can help anybody. <laughs> I got the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> but you would have us read, you would give us portions to read. Right. And, um, and so each kid had to read a portion. So like one day I had to read this portion up here. This portion here, which y'all can see that. I did a lot of writing. I was very impressed with Beowulf. Um, apparently, Angelina Jolie was also, which I saw her in Afghanistan. And um, 
Yeah, I tell the kids that the, of the movie versions, yeah. uh, 13th Warrior is the only thing that even comes close to get a sense of the, a sense of the poem. The oh, Angelina, really? I, the Angelina Jolie it. version, yeah. It, it's, I haven't it, watched it's, it. it. Well, it sexualizes Beowulf's, I mean, not Beowulf's mother, Grendel's mother. Oh, okay. She's a hack. She's she's a murderous hag. She she comes in the middle of the night and kills your babies. So she's she's not an object of desire. So it's it's an overlay. It's a Hollywood overlay on the story. So um, the the Thirteenth Warrior with Antonio Banderas is probably the closer. Is a, a better. I should better watch. Version. You know, I haven't watched it at all because this book has meant so much to me. Obviously, I mean, I've carried it around a long time, um, but I, I just couldn't. I couldn't watch. If, let me just read you this portion. And I had to read, you made me read this. You see there I had written down, I was supposed to read for whatever. Um, it says, I wrote above it like so I'd know the scene. Rothgar starts talking to Beowulf and his men. Okay, so here it is. And then pride grows in his heart, painted quietly but flourishing. And while the keeper of his soul sleeps on, while conscious rests and the world turns faster, a murderer creeps closer comes carrying a tight-strung bow with terrible arrows, and those sharp points strike home, shot, and shot, our shot, in his breast, under his helmet, he's helpless. And so the devil's dark urgings wounds him, for he can't remember how he clung to the rotting wealth of this world and how he clawed to keep it, how he earned no honor, no glory, in giving golden rings, how he forgot the future glory God gave him at his birth, and forgetting did not care. And finally his body fails him, these bones and flesh quickened by God fall and die. And some other soul inherits his place in heaven, some open-handed giver of old treasures who takes no delight in mere gold, guards against such, guard against such wickedness, beloved Beowulf, best of warriors, and chose it, and choose instead eternal happiness. Push away pride, your strength, your power, are yours for how many years? Soon you'll return them from where they came. I always like that, you know, like the idea of, of uh, it's kind of where I started. I have a lot of, it, some of y'all see me in staff meetings, read stuff like this. And um, I like that because it, it's basically saying, hey, all that strength, all that beauty, it's, it's just here for a minute. The wealth, it's, it's never yours to hoard. It's yours to give. You got to give it all away to get anything at all. Yeah, which is remarkable when you think of, you know, this is a, a culture that measures your worth by, you know, how many followers you have and how much treasure you have. So, you know, think of the world that we live in right now. How many followers do you have and how much treasure do you have? That's yeah, it. it. It's yeah. Now we're the difference is that most of us are not, you know, waking up every morning to go fight and kill to to preserve that um so as we've talked before this interview <laughs> i've been reminded of, of you know that there are a lot of people in our culture that actually that is their job um, and so you know when i when i teach kids today that book you know i'm talking about what it's what it's like to be in a warrior culture and you know you, well, you don't have any promises for tomorrow you know you your dad was in Vietnam, right? Right. My my dad. I counted it up a couple of years ago. Um, uh, from the time my my dad joined in 1960, the Air Force in 1960, and uh, uh, we moved here in in 74. 
exactly one half of my childhood between 1960 and 1974, my dad wasn't in the house because he was deployed in Southeast Asia. Then he, when he went into Special Forces, um, we were in, in Europe and he was just all over you know, NATO. He spent a year in Iran. He did the Sante uh, prisoner raid, uh, the failed prisoner raid. So he's gone for a year doing that. Um, so yeah, for seven out of my, those 14 years. Your, your dad was pretty, I, I remember thinking like, like your dad would show up and he had this really cool beard, he boots, and he was on a Harley. Harley, which I got one of. <laughs> <laughs> Had one of. Had one. That's right. I had. Yeah, it's gone. Well, y'all, I think most of the folks on Venture heard me talking about it. I wrote a song about selling my motorcycle to do this <laughs> next album. It's like such a... But I, I don't tell you personally, but since my dad owns Harleys, I've always thought, I'm going to get his last Harley. Now, he's he's 83, and he's still riding, riding one around town. I don't think he can feel his feet below his knees. So, no, he couldn't. So what what he's doing on that bike, I don't know. He's, he's a little frail old man. But he's an awesome guy. He is an amazing and, man. And, and, and you, I mean, you're the, you know, like, the hope, like so many children, I mean, and part of it's you being here at Rocky Valley. Like you, this is a Christian school, and but it's unlike most Christian schools. Like you were teaching us Latin stuff, and you were teaching other people real math. <laughs> you, you were spared that. I was not good at math. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the uh, when I went to Bellhaven, one of my teachers. Hope you're gone. So <laughs> one of my teachers, he um, it was my fifth time. I was a senior. And every, you know, I was watching that grade point average because you know, I wanted to play basketball. I mean, that's why I went to college. And um, I got in there and I said, hey, I, this is my, I have to graduate because I can't take out any more student loans, you know? And the guy said, well, what's the story? I said, well, I keep dropping out of math because I'm failing. I, and I, it's just no good. He said, if you'll write down, they're called theorems. Yeah. If you write down every, for every test, if you write all the theorems down and, and you'll at least try. I'll give you a D, but you have to do it on every problem. And then all this homework I give you, see all those girls out there? They're all good. Somebody out there is going to be good at math. <laughs> I don't ever want it. He said, I don't want you having them do the work, but don't bring me anything that's wrong. So I tell you There's what. a Solomonic math teacher right there. <laughs> He's wise. I made it, I made it through math. <laughs> Um, it was it was horrible. It felt like at the time, but yeah, I'm um, just going to say that if you read Cardinal Newman's book, the idea of a university, someplace in there is the notion that it's a community and all the parts have to work. So obviously, for Bellhaven basketball to work, you had to be there because you you were an awesome basketball player. Thank you. <laughs> and he had his his math kingdom to over. But it's this corporate corporate model where all the pieces of the body have to work together. So well. It, you know, I'm glad I got out of that. <laughs> and and it, I, I wish I'd been a better basketball player because <laughs> I had. Well, you know, now it doesn't matter. I'm I'm glad I did what I did. Uh, if my these hands had been just a little bit bigger, I just couldn't hold the basketball. Yeah, they're they're my size, and you're you're two and a half, three inches taller than me. I know. I like I can't grab a basketball. Yeah. But um, sports were big here at Rocky Bay. It, it helped me because I felt like 
I needed, you know, like, I, and it's weird, you know, like I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a bookworm, a little bit of a nerd. I spent a lot of time on a computer. Um, I play music, but it was the sports that saved me. It yeah. was the idea of, of being harsh, of being strong, that I had something to fight against. And the weird thing about here at Rocky Bayou, like I went to one of y'all's graduations um, when I was getting off the pills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rick Earl's son, Andrew, was yeah. graduating. And uh, I was pretty stoned out and, you know, on the VA pain train. And, <laughs> and um, I remember sitting in the back thinking there was something like $1.2 million in scholarships awarded that year. Maybe it was 2.3. It was a lot. Yeah. For 20 students? Yeah. It was a lot, and I, I was thinking to myself, "That's this is the reason why." When I went to Rocky Bayou, like I didn't, I didn't even crack open a book until like the third year. Of, now I was on the eight-year plan, so I'm crunching it down. <laughs> so, you know, I was I was playing basketball a lot, but <laughs> all kinds of parties. It's a good time of But if you would, what's that called? Your sophomore year, senior? No, juniors. Senior, junior, junior, sophomore. So the junior year in college, that's the first time I had to study. Coming out of here, oh, I, I was uh, taught well. I just <laughs> uh, I would have liked you uh, uh, as a teacher. I would have liked for you to have studied your freshman and sophomore years. But uh, I'm glad that what what happened here, and that that really goes to though um, the founders of the school and their educational vision. So. Um, the Greets and the Thomases founded the school, and they had this idea that's really the, the big idea of Western Christian culture, which is that you worship God through the life of the mind. And Say that again. You worship God through the life of your mind. So the, the way the, the, the Puritans would say it is, you know, our job is to learn to think God's thoughts after that's that's why we're here is you know we're looking at this <laughs> random random chaotic world that we're in that really you know let's be honest you know it doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of different ways true okay there's and there's so, so much pain and suffering in, and and what you get is you get these little glimmery sparkles every once in a while that tells you that there's something there's something real and good and true and then it disappears and you know the things that when we're when we're kids and we're sort of idealistic and we're brought up to think you know marriage or family or meaningful work or you know in my case military service was kind of this ideal you know I grew up idolizing you know generals and and military heroes okay and then as you get older, you realize that every one of those is, is fractured, it's twisted, it's off. And while you have good moments, you realize you know, that taken as a whole, you know, life's pretty disappointing. <laughs> what, it's, we're broken. Yeah. And it's broken. The whole system's broken. And so at precisely that sort of point of realization, um, you know, our... our our tendency is just to give up hope and to just, to just despair, okay? And then we find our solace, you know, 
you know, bonsai, you know, we become good at something that we can just devote our time to. Um, and I always think of the bonsai gardeners as, you know, here's this teeny tree and, you know, it's so beautiful and so perfect. But what, what it is, it's, it's like a judgment against God and the world because, God, why couldn't you make all of the world that way? Um, and so back to my point of learning to think God's thoughts after him is, you know, you're, you're learning through sort of studying. Okay, so what you study in school, the proper, the proper study of school is, is, you know, who God is the nature of the world that he's created and then who we are and what we're supposed to do here. Okay, so that's kind of the threefold nature of, of education. And um, and there's some, some people that say that threefold nature actually reflects sort of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, in a Trinitarian way, but I'm, I'm not that smart. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this, that as you, as you sort of discipline yourself to think about, you know, books, and writers and you know and I'm not talking about you know the the you know 8th century Mercian monk that wrote that story that existed for 300 years down you know I, I was talking to the kids this week about uh, Matthew Arnold and his poem uh, Dover Beach which is basically a guy on a honeymoon with his girl at the beach and he realizes that the beauty and that the idea that this beauty all means something is a, is a lie. So in other words, highly educated man, you know, great thinker, great writer, looks at everything and just concludes that we have no choice but to despair. And so the point of education is really that you learn to see the world as God sees it. And that's, that's a lifetime plus job. And that's what you're doing. But yeah, that's what we're starting kids on is, so, um, you know, most, most conservative religious schools really kind of would like, like it if it worked like this, that we could like unscrew the top of a kid's head, pour in all the right stuff, screw the top of their head back on, wind them up, and they'd be set for life. And that's, that's not what a real education does. But that didn't happen to me. I no, like, didn't. I didn't feel at all like you... You know, I never felt like I was cloned. Right, and, and a good education won't do that. So the, the, the other sort of notion about the who we are part is so we're all image bearers. And the point is, is that as individuals, we're only going to reflect part of the image. You know, it takes all of us together. It takes that community. To be together, the body of Christ. To actually like be a, a, a more God. full reflection of who God is so this sort of this sort of struck me actually I'd, I'd worked here for 29 years before I became the boss and so as the boss <laughs> wait around long enough <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> if you're not if you're not terribly ambitious but you're sort of ambitious yeah just hang around um, <laughs> So that's truer than I'd like to confess. I always tell people, I, every promotion I've ever gotten here is because I was the last guy standing. So that's kind of cockroaches in the apocalypse, right? Is, but, but the other <laughs> thing is, it's like, you know, like, there's, there, we have all kinds of people in pictures who are trying to go to back to school. They're like, oh, you did it, you know. And I'm like, all you got to do is just keep going. Yeah, it's one foot in front of the other. That's probably one of the most lacking things in our culture 
is stick to itness. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, we're kind of an instant satisfaction, instant instant pleasure, you know, culture. We got a short attention span. So I t- I tend to look at what you've done, not as the last man standing, but rather like the one who stuck to it. That, and, that makes it a little more flattering. I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> well, but but there's some real truth in that because because this culture of veterans who are out there. We've watched people stand up and be grandiose and parade around on the field and act like they're better than they are and break their own arms, patting their backs, yeah. patting their pockets the whole time, and they go down to the Keys and have some great vacation and die of a heart attack because they screwed all these people. And they didn't stand for anything. They didn't stick around. And, and I don't. I, when I think about you, I don't. I don't see a guy that just. I see the guy that's like, no, I, I'm, I'm going to stand for the idea that. Like you said, I can teach you to think. I can help you learn how to think. Yeah. And then I'm going to give you all these tools. Like I felt like the whole education here at Rocky Bayou was a bunch of tools that you gave me. I was having a, a, a conversation with Chad Carr, and um, and I was Chad broke that thumb. <laughs> <laughs> can't see can't see my uh, baseball jersey that the kids gave me when I retired from coaching baseball. But right yeah, there, there on the wall. Am, there I am. And so. Uh, Chad Carr shattered his thumb. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate that. I, I was talking with Chad. He's, you know, he's a realtor down in yeah. South Florida. If y'all want to buy a house, call Chad. He won't. He won't screw you. Um. So Chad and I were talking, and Chad had that heart transplant, or something. I don't know what he had. It, it was bad, and um, we thought he was going to die. But I mean, we live in 2018, 17, best medicine the world's had up to date. You know, yeah. and uh. And Chad says, you know, we had a great foundation. And I never thought to that point about what other people were thinking about, like our education. So, you know, the idea that you said, um, you, you get a toolkit. And so the goal, you know, theologically, is that you're going to be a, a lifelong learner because as long as you're on this earth, God's put you here to keep figuring stuff so out. Yeah. And again, you know, the challenge is, are you going to learn to see things the way he sees them? So, you know, Rothgar's speech to Beowulf is, don't look at stuff the way your senses tell you to look at stuff and the way society tells you to look at stuff. The stuff, you know, the point of that speech is it's, it's the relationships that matter, not the stuff. That's right. And this is a culture... <laughs> That, you know, how many how many guys are gonna gonna go risk their lives to follow you into battle? And so there is a there is a thing about, you know, you just were talking about the the sham of some of the military stuff. So, you know, go back to the first yeah. book, Stephen Crane's Red Badge of Courage that sort of points out the war is really not glorious, it's chaotic and random Scary. and terrifying and there are no heroes sort of thing and you know, you read that book, you read the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Aeneid, and you go, hey, I, I'm going to go be the hero. You know, I'm going to go be the guy that has no fear, delivers my people. You know, so you got all these these tensions in, in terms of the way it's presented, but what Rothgar's telling Beowulf is it's it's about these people, and it's about you you giving your heart to your people. And so, you know, one of the things that I try to show the kids is, you know, Beowulf's Beowulf's a warrior, 
the Beowulf's the, the first Christ figure warrior. So at the end of the book, he's going to lay down his life for his people, you know, fighting a, a giant snake. Okay, you know, that's Genesis 3. He's, he's going to, you know, 80-year-old, 80 plus, he's my dad's age, for crying tears. He's, he's going to go into battle. One last and, time. And all of, his, all of his guys abandon him because they're so terrified by this, this monster. He's going to go into battle. One guy kind of trails behind him. And he's going he's gonna to give his life so that that thing doesn't kill his people. Now, the tragedy is of the book, sort of the looming, is that, well, without him, his tribe are dead meat because without that leader, the other tribes are just biding their time till, hey, we're not going to go fight Beowulf, but, you know, when Wiglaf's in charge, we'll, we'll go get him. Um, so, you know, there, there, is, there is that tension in our life, too, is that, you know, you, you, you fight the good fight, you know, you keep the faith, you, you, you don't quit, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, and in real life, you know, you may not have anything that, that lasts beyond you much. You know, your name may be forgotten in, in one generation. And so the ancients, <laughs> that drove them crazy. That drove the Greeks and the Romans crazy. You know, how big of a statue do I have to build so that I'll be remembered, you know, 100 years after my death? You know, how many kids do I have to have to carry my name that I'll be remembered? And, you know, the point is, is that you're not putting your stock in the stuff of this world. You know, all the stuff that this world is telling you is meaningful. It's not. It's really not. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, I'm not an Eastern mystic, but it, it, there's an illusion to stuff. And the, st the things that transcend, the, what transcends this life are those, those relationships in that community and that reflection of God's glory that, again, you know, you and I have both met people, and I think of your mom. Your mom's a perfect example of this. So here's a woman who, contrary to every piece of educational wisdom, says that kids that can't learn can, and I'm going to teach them. And she did. And so there are hundreds, you know, just her touch alone, but thousands upon thousands because of her vision. Now, you know, an amazing thing happened 25 years after your mom started doing this is that, you know, all the fancy brain scientists said, oh, the brain's malleable. <laughs> you know, your IQ at age eight doesn't have to be your IQ at age 18. But what your mom did is she looked past the stuff and she, she thought about how God sees people. So, you know, we're in a fallen world, we're broken, but we're still fear, fearfully and wonderfully made, and we're made for a purpose. And that purpose, crazily enough, is individual to who we are. So, you know, when you were sitting telling me all this stuff that you're doing, and I said, well, that's a God thing. But it's also, you know, I couldn't do what you're doing. If I had gone, if I'd gone your path, you know, I'd been a much better basketball player. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'd gone your path. I couldn't do what you're doing because you know I used to I used to tease you a little bit when you were a kid that you were like this you know kind of Celtic warrior poet so your last name's Williams which is a Welsh name and you know they're Celts 
And, you know, they had this sort of cast of, of warrior poets. And, you know, they strip all their clothes off, paint themselves blue, <laughs> run into battle. And then, you know. Maybe I, I need to start doing some uh, of that uh, at the shows. Y'all yeah. come to a show, I'm going yeah. blue, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we'll show a blue man group a, a, a whole new vision. Um, but, no, the point, the point is, is that, you know, I could see it when you were a kid. I could see it that this this crazy <laughs> Choctaw Beach guy that, you know, my wife's looking at me sideways and I say, yeah, Matt the cat's going to babysit our kids. <laughs> it's like I'm, it's like I'm in the Jungle Book and I'm saying, you know, all our kids are going to be raised by wolves now. <laughs> the wolf has got it. It's all right. <laughs> so anyhow, but the point is, is, is that there's an individual purpose. And, and again, so many people just... You know, the cogs in the machine. It's the Pink Floyd song. You know, everybody, that's what society's doing to us. It's, you know. Did you, you ever go back and watch The Wall and think about war? I have not. I think about education all the time when I watch it. Cause go back and watch it because it's really, a, it's really a shot at, like, where we as veterans wind up. It, it's, it's almost this perfect picture of post-traumatic stress. Really? I, I haven't thought of it that way. It's, okay. like, I'll, go, I'll go do that. I'll go do that. I love Pink Floyd, so I'll go do that. It's it's worth. I mean, like, I, so I bought the extended, or my wife bought me the extended. It's one of my favorite albums. Yeah. And um, and I'm sitting there listening to it, and I realize that they're fighting is this this stuckness of our whole society. Yeah. And they, yeah, they do hit that education. Like, we don't need yeah. no education. They're not saying we don't need an education. What they're saying is it can't be about just making more war machines. Yeah. Education well, it, has to have purpose. You know, it's the, the widgetization. So around 1900, you know, oh, educational yeah. model became the industrial model, and people were widgets. I got a, I got a quick story. So you brought my mom up. My mom taught here for 45 years. Mike made me a call one day. He said, hey, listen, I you we got to get your mom home to do a doctor. Because my mom was stubborn. Now, I love my mom, but to say she was a little, stubborn, a little, a little. Yeah, I mean, she was like, uh, she was really stubborn, really stubborn. And so, um, so, mom had cancer, and she wasn't going home, and she wasn't going to the doctor because the doctors cost money. And they had Tricare for life. Hey, Chris, and everybody else on there, I, I see y'all. I just we're talking, you know. So, um, so Mike calls me and says, "Hey, man, you guessing your mom?" She's got to go home, and she cannot come back to work till she gets better. Yeah. And 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 mom knew she wasn't getting better, and I'm glad she went home then because she had this, a couple weeks after that she had surgery, and then she wound up living for four more years. So I got to talk to her quite a bit, and and that was pretty incredible. You know, I mean, it was by far the hardest thing that ever happened. But you bringing her up reminded me of something. It's those of y'all who are with me in Afghanistan. Um knew that I had that uh, cigar night, you know, because we didn't have, they don't let you have beer, they don't let you have sex. <laughs> like, there's all these rules, right? So what do you do, you know? And, like, there's people going on the smoking cessation. Like, they're going to quit smoking. Mm -hmm. We got these, the docs are going to help everybody quit smoking. It's like the worst time in the world to quit smoking. <laughs> I mean, stuff's blowing up. People are dying. You're, everything you do depends, I mean, like, it has to be done right. And people are stopping smoking. They're coming into my office. Chaplain, I'm so angry. I'm like, uh, when's the last time you and I get out a cigarette? And I'm like, they're like, you don't smoke. I said, I know, but you need one. <laughs> well, and, and people started sending me these cigars. And I did a cigar night once a week. 
What's the tune of like one guy said three thousand cigars? If they had been menthol, it would have been an incredible score. <laughs> but I couldn't hardly give those away. But um, cigar night was a big deal, and so I'm walking down from point A to point B, and it's ten, eleven o'clock at night. I had a little belt on, and I'd written Chaplin in it, so you could see it, like in you know in the glow mm-hmm. of things. So people who know who I was. Because there's just too many people, and I've always been of the idea that the people that want help will find help. And, yeah. you know, when you journey with people, you're journeying with them. You're not seeking them out for your own yeah. perceived needs of them. But so I'm walking along, this guy says something, and I look over, he's smoking a cigar, and I was like, hey, how you doing, you know? like, And it's it's a colonel in the Air Force, and uh, it's about 11 o'clock at night. You know, you know, like a sit down, find out how he's doing, what he's doing, and he's sitting on a step kind of by himself. It's like, everything okay? You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, I got this meeting I'm kind of worried about. So what, are you, what are you talking about? So he, he tells me about this meeting. He has to go meet my boss, my boss's boss. But I'm acting brigade chaplain at the time. And, um, that commander wore a ranger tab and, and I mean like we're the third brigade first infantry division we had the Corngall Valley we fired more ammunition that year than they fired in all of Iraq that year wow so we did that in the Corngall Valley in Afghanistan we fired more ammunition than they fired in all of Iraq in 0809 and um and it was pretty big stuff you know like it's life and death every day there's it's it's a hard job and this this Air Force guy says I gotta go see this army guy you know and I hear he's just a raging cussing crazy guy and I'm like that's sad for right <laughs> and uh, he says he's like I'm, I'm worried about talking to him so well he just he's foul mouth and he's a lot of Bulgarian I said well that's, that's how we talk I said I'll said, i tell you what I said you go in there in the meetings at like 1230 at night or a.m. Yeah. you know it's like because that's how operations roll you know and um he wasn't real comfortable with that either. <laughs> we get to talking, and I said, "Hey, if he does, if he go in there and you don't in the first five or six seconds you don't hear the f bomb dropped at you, you might be in trouble. <laughs> Just might have a problem." Well, he goes in there, everything works out fine. He, he can see him the next morning at breakfast or somewhere during the day. Hey, Chaplin, how are you doing? He's like, "Hey, you were right. You know, we get to talk a little bit more." And he's like, uh, so where are you from and everything? I told him, you know, from down in a little place called Niceville. Nice place. It, it's not really that nice. It's hot. <laughs> but if you're here, you're here. So you got to be, in places, it's weird. But, you know, we, we emphasize places a lot in life. And the people are much more important. Yeah. And um, this guy had a child that was being taught by my mom. No way. We talked because he was going, his, his children were going here to Rocky Bayou. <laughs> and my mom was teaching one of his kids reading. And and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, you just can't outrun who you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's all, you know, uh, you are always going to be the person that you are. Your family's important. You should never be ashamed of your family. Right, right. You, um, where you start is extremely important. You know, there's there's so many people struggling right now with their children. 
they they don't know what to do. There are places all around the country where school like this doesn't exist. What do you say to them, Mike? Well, <laughs> it's it's hard. You know, my my kids don't live here. Well, one one Nathaniel just moved back. Um, so, uh, I think I think one of the things that you have to sort of always realize is that you know you, you are where you are for a reason, and. Um, back to sort of the, the the virtues of plotting is with the, the, the with a D yeah. is you know God really wants you to put one foot in front of the other yeah. and so um, it's not complicated in terms of what's right you know loving people more than you love yourself um, I always tell I always tell parents and not being a parent but just from observation when you have a child, you're no longer the picture, you're the frame. Be careful that's, what gets painted in that frame. Yeah. That's a that's a great way to great way to think about it. So so much so much of child rearing, you you just you, you really are at the mercy of God. Let me just say that. You know, as a guy who went into child child rearing thinking that if I had the code, because I also teach math, if I have the code, you know, if I know the formula, <laughs> I can I can calculate this. And I will just tell you that you know God makes all of your children different, and don't you got several? I've got six, and they're all they're That's all pretty cool. They're all individuals, and they're all they're all grownups now, and it's cool to see them parenting the ones that have kids parenting. But but the thing is, is that you know God God makes them all different. So you're there. You got a stewardship. You know you don't ever own your kids. Don't don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you got to try to relive your youth <laughs> fix all your mistakes by making your kids do certain things but you have to pay attention to, to who's this individual that God made and how do I best coach them to go be the man or woman that, that Jesus made them to be and and that's that's actually a really interesting so you know some kids are quote unquote easy some kids are extremely difficult so in a family of six I'll just tell you the kids that I had the hardest time with you know, or frequently the kids that God's got the biggest plans for, because, you know, that that was a fight. <laughs> Every day was a fight, you know, because you got somebody that's that's kind of yearning to bust out and, and be who, and they got a sense of that. You know, they're they're thinking ten years down the road, and you want them just to shut up and, and color, yeah, <laughs> do your clean your room, you know, don't sash your mom, and so. Again, so much of life is is what I said at the beginning is is learning how to see things like God sees them instead of how we're just prone to see them in our flesh. And so knowing that, that that person, you know, is a special creation of God, and is the way they are for a reason. Now I'm not saying kids don't sin; kids sin all the time. But you know, God, all the twists and turns in that in that child's personality and character were put there by the, the God who made the universe and he you know he could have given me six just like the first one but he didn't and he did you know that's a reason and so I think uh, I heard this one time is that you know as you as you as you teach kids as you get to know people and it's, this is true for adults too you know that anticipation you had when you were a kid and it was Christmas morning and you just want to see what was in that big box yeah. yeah, that's yeah. really what what 
teaching kids and getting to know people is like, is you're unwrapping this Christmas present and you don't know what's inside. <laughs> and, and I was a bad gift receiver when I was a kid because if it wasn't exactly what I wanted, I pitched a fit. You know? <laughs> so I've got, I've got a grandson that's this way, by the way. And it's, it's horrible to behold me, you know, 50-something years later, that little guy. But the point is, is, is that, you know, people are presents. People are presents from the creator of the universe, and children are presents. You know, Psalm 127, you know, behold, children are a gift from God. And so, you know, we've got that on a sign as you drive onto campus just to remind us all every day of the, the wonderful privilege and so it's parenting and it's schooling. You know, I get I get paid money, not not a lot of money, but I get paid money. <laughs> you know, not so much money that I I didn't have to throw papers, but I get paid money to come in every day and try to point uh, students in a direction that hopefully they're gonna they're gonna keep on that trajectory throughout their life and into eternity. And you know they're going to spend the rest of their their lives really delighting in learning to think God's thoughts after. Is your uh, your predecessor throwing papers right now? <laughs> <laughs> no. Both of my predecessors had the wisdom to be be USAF oh, for true. for twenty plus oh, years. I said predecessor. I mean the person that's going to take your place one day. Oh, okay. I my jacked it up. I, wrong word. Hey, Ms. Now, one of my goals here is to pay people better than the public schools pay to reward the excellence that it really demands to, to, to be that kind of teacher. Well, this is kind of a family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, this is not a, it's not a small thing to come work here on this campus. It, I, I know that from listening to my mom. Like, yeah. like we said, she was... Kind of a battle axe. Yeah, she would like if something got in her mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you saw it firsthand. <laughs> well, but, but I, you know, like I, I think about, yeah, I jacked that word up. Um, which just goes to show you, like you know, use Wikipedia more often. <laughs> like, like, the, I've got a doctorate degree, and I'm still misusing words. <laughs> me, me, and you both, by the <laughs> but. Like, I bring that up for two reasons. One, and I know we need, we need to talk about any of this ahead of time. What if somebody wanted some help with their kids, and they're like, I need to do something different? Because it was, like you said, Bob Greek and, and uh, Trinky, his wife, and Joyce, and uh, the pastor. Harold. Harold. The four of them sat down and dreamt up this thing. Yeah. It's four people. It's just like... It's people. Anybody could start Rocky by you. I mean, if you get up in the morning, you put on clothes. So that that's a good point. The the need existed to have a place that would teach like this. And I I never went to a school like this. The closest I came was my undergraduate was a a place called New College down in Sarasota. Now it wasn't Christian at all, but it, but it sort of believed that every student had to own their own education. This is very very existential in that. Yeah. Like, it, but sounds like Kierkegaardian existentialism rather than well, realistic existentialism. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it felt like a tension there. But but I will say this: that um, the idea of of school being meaningful and not the the another brick in the wall, but you know, you're actually equipping people to go be 
the, the men and women God, that God's made them to be. And so you're looking at looking at people's individuals. So I mean, you're still doing classes with multiple kids in a room, but you know, if this kid can't read, well, we got one person here that is going to teach you how to read, and you're going to go from zero to grade level in three years. And you know, your mom used to work that miracle day in, day out. Well, she used to say, I'm going to figure out how you learn. Yeah. I'll have to figure out how you learn. Yeah. My mom, like, I think when I look at what my mom did, I think she got up in the morning and said, I got all these little puzzles I got to figure them yeah. out. Well, and that's, that, that's properly what teaching really is because, you know, let's say you're in a, in a, what they call a gen ed classroom. You know, you're still an individual. You still have strengths and weaknesses. You still have, you know, tendencies in your learning. So, you know, a good teacher is going to, figure that out, but they're also going to figure out what what sort of turns the key in you. So this is kind of back to the sports part. So there's lots of young people that, um, you know, I two of my kids only came to school because they got to play sports. You know, now they were A and B students, but if we didn't have athletics, they would have done nothing academically. So kind of felt the same way. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't feel like coming here either. Yeah, schools. I, I came so I could play yeah. basketball. So soccer. the things that you can learn in the other parts of things that are attached to school are not, you know, music's not just sort of an extra that's fun. When if you do well enough in, in English and math, you get to go do music or sports. They really are integral to creating whole people. So. You know, one of the things about athletics and about, you know, we didn't have band uh, really in drama really when you were here, but we've added all those, is those are, those are experiences, and I'm thinking of the kind of the military aspect of this, in which the, the, the sum is greater than the addition of all the parts, okay? So, you know, a real team, okay, and you played on some pretty good teams here, yeah. a real team transforms the members of it into something you know you achieve stuff that you could never have achieved alone or if there had been nine of you on the baseball team or five exact yous on the basketball team you got you got further you have to have the because, yeah because you you weren't all five so it's you know you play music you know if every one of your songs was just one note It'd be terrible, okay? So that's kind of God's symphony here. And, and so schools, if they're done right with the music, with, with the drama, with the sports, are giving you a chance to see that a, a real big part of life is getting in with a group of people and facing some sort of challenge that you also played on some teams that, you know, got thumped. Oh, yeah. You know, so you, you, you didn't... You know, and again, you were a great basketball player. We we had a good run in, in every sport that you played on soccer, well, baseball, the, the and baseball. We didn't. I, I didn't make you the whole threw, year. You threw a no hitter. Now we lost it, and I lost my testimony very badly at that field over in Central Gadsden County. Why don't we just say your humanity showed? Okay, because that's the true but testimony. You, but you threw a no hitter, and you deserved to win that game. Deserved to win that game. But anyhow, I'm just the 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 point is is that that. A good school allows kids to experience some of that, and again, you know, basketball is not going to be your life, but you learn things. You learn things by being on those teams. You know, band's not going to probably be your life. I want to interject real quick. Just okay. segue maybe a little. 
Thank you for joining us for part one of this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.